it's one of those ways of speaking and phrases. It's one of those things that can mean a lot of different things because it, it transitions into a lot of different spheres. So if you're talking about the world of interior design, every room has a focal point. So if you go into a house and the living room has a fireplace in it, the fireplace becomes the focal point of the room. When you walked into this room today, obviously the platform is the focal point. It's the place where the focus intensifies. But then when you take it out of the world of interior design and you go into like photography or you, you go into uh, how light moves and bounces within lenses, uh, the focal point is where all of the elements intersect. So I got this, this video, forgive me for the quality, it's the best one I can find, and it's kind of grainy, but it gives a good just sight picture of what I'm talking about. If y'all could play the video. In this video, these are the three elements of light coming uh, out of the projector here. Now, he just placed a lens. Can you pause it? He just placed a lens. Now, a lens is applied to a camera or to a projector for the purposes of magnifying the camera's ability and for the purpose of focusing it. Now, once the lens, go ahead and play it. Once the lens is applied, you're able to see the focal point. He just put a red uh, dot on it. The focal point is when all three of these separate elements of light intersect right there at the focal point, okay? The focal point is the point where all three separate elements come together and intersect. So let me give you a couple of definitions, uh, dictionary definitions, for what is a focal point. It's the point at which all elements or aspects converge. Second definition is the center of activity or attention. You with me so far? I know it's a lot. The perilous times that we are living in today demand that our faith graduate from being broad and being general into being focused and specific. You're going to need focus this year like you've never needed it before. Matthew 6, 22, Jesus is teaching, and he says, if your eye is healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is good, the, the Greek there is healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. What he's saying there, he's not talking about the health of your natural eyes, he's talking about a healthy eye, a good eye, is an eye that has the ability to focus. A lot of the turmoil that you've been going through, a lot of the anxiety, the self-doubt, the fear, the pressure, and the frustration is not the attack of the enemy. A lot of it is you haven't been living in focus. A lot of it is you've just had a general view of faith or a general view of God or a general view of your direction in life. And so because you have not been focused or because you have had the wrong focus, you're feeling the 
the negative effects of it. And I want you to understand first in the message, your focus is a magnifier. Did you hear me? Help your neighbor understand what I said. Tell him your focus, point at him, your focus is a magnifier. You magnify within your being. When I talk about your being, what am I, what am I talking about? You are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. You are a spirit that has a soul that lives in your body. Say spirit, soul, body. So whatever you focus on, your focus, your ability to focus is a gift from God. And whatever you focus on, you magnify. Now, this can work for you for the good, or this can work against you for the negative. If you focus on nothing, some people are like that. They just live their lives walking around aloof, just focused on nothing. If you focus on nothing... Your focus is still a magnifier. You will multiply the feelings of self-doubt, feelings of confusion. You know how it looks when you, when you see a camera on TV and it's out of focus? It's confusing because you can't tell where everything is because it's out of focus. When you don't live with focus, you magnify feelings of confusion. You magnify feelings of self-doubt. I guess you do have self-doubt. You're not focused. If you focus on specific fears, you magnify feelings of worry, anxiety, and depression. On the other hand, if you focus on specific elements of your faith, you magnify God's power in your life. In our text, Psalms 34, the first few verses read, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my. My. Verse 2, my. Verse 2, my. Uh, my. My. Good. My shall make its boast in the Lord, and then the, say it again, the shall hear of it and be glad. Then verse 3, oh, magnify. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. How does a mortal human being magnify the eternal everlasting God? The word magnify means to make bigger. So how does a human being make God bigger? And the answer is you cannot except in your own focus, in your own life. Through your focus, you can make God bigger as it relates to you. You can't make him bigger as it relates to me, but you can make him bigger as it relates to you. Okay. Now, remember the little video I showed you, the three elements coming out of the lens, and there was a point when all of those three elements intersected and that point where they intersected was the focal point. Well, there's a hidden focal point in the text that we just read. Let's see if you can spot it. Psalm 34 again, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my, that's his body. He's using his body, bringing his body into focus to rejoice in the Lord. Then he says, my 
shall make its boast in the Lord. Now he's bringing his soul into the equation to rejoice in the Lord. Then next, he says, the humble shall hear of it and be glad. When he says the humble, he's not talking about people who were listening and they're humble. He's talking about the most humble of our three-part created being, which is our spirit. Okay? So, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be in my mouth, body. My soul will make its boast. And the humble, the spirit of me, will hear it and be glad. This text is not about congregational worship. This text is about a man bringing his entire being into a focal point of rejoicing in God. Now, watch the results of it. When he did that, verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out to the Lord and the Lord heard him, saved him out of all his trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. There's no want to those who fear him. And then the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Just from his godly focus, seven blessings are released. Verse 4, the blessing of deliverance from fear. Deliverance from fear. Can you say deliverance from fear? Raise your right hand. I receive right now in my spirit my soul, and my body, deliverance from fear. I fear nothing but God. Come on, I fear nothing but God. God has created this church and put it in this spot in the city to be an open heaven portal in this place where fear is destroyed. We will reject fear at every turn. We will reject fear of every kind. And as you come in and you get connected to us, you will begin to see fear fade away, fear, uh, fade and fall away from your life. There's a removal and a deliverance from fear. The next blessing is from verse 5, the removal of shame. The removal of shame. The next blessing, verse 6, answered prayers. He said, I cried unto the Lord and he heard me. Verse 7, angelic protection. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear, reverence, respect God. Verse 8, he promises Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Verse 9, he says, there is no want, no neediness. Okay? I don't know about you needy people. Get on my nerves. Okay? And some of you in the past have been needy people. But when you begin to walk in the focus of the specific promises of God, you lose that neediness to your personality. Not only do you lose it when it comes to your spirituality, you lose it around the workplace. You don't need other people's approval. You don't need other people to acknowledge you. You don't need other people to hold your hand. You don't need other people to comfort you. You don't need other people to serve as props and, and position you up in life. You just, there's no want anymore because of God's activity in your life through your focus. And then finally, number seven from verse 10, no lack. I've preached to you a lot about no lack. I won't go through that again. Now, 
Notice that focus by nature is very specific. It's very targeted. And, and we've already said today, focus cannot be broad and general. So in 2022, it is not enough to say, I have faith in God. Well, that's, that's great. Glad you do. But that's too broad. What specifically about God do you have faith in? Where's the focus? Okay. Where's the focal point of it? So I want to give you three elements that I want you to focus on in your faith. Three things about God that I want you to focus on and get real specific about this year. I'm not going to harp on this. I'm preaching this one time this year. My heart and intent, this is our word for the year. Uh, as far as the congregation, our theme for the year prophetically is to edify, to build. It's a time to build. But this is the word for the congregation. This is the word for you for this year. I hope you'll save it on Facebook. I hope you'll go back. I hope you'll study it. I hope you'll write notes. I hope you'll listen to the Holy Spirit speak to you again and again through it. But I want you to capture this in your heart and in your understanding. The first element that I want you to focus on is I want you to have faith in the grace of God. Okay. Bishop talked to you about this a few minutes ago. It's a word for the year. All year long, I want you to focus your faith on the grace of God. But listen, even the grace of God, that's good. It's more focused, but it's not crystal clear yet. Let's make it crystal clear. What is the grace of God? What's the biblical definition of God's grace? And the Bible gives us two of them, and they're not the same thing. They're used different ways, so you need to understand. If you're a note taker, be ready, or if you plan on going back and watching later and taking notes, that's fine with me too. The first definition and use of grace of God is this word, or this, these two words, undeserved kindness. Okay. Now, if you're a theology major, you'll, you'll know that in older times, they've said unmerited favor. But, but to bring the terminology up to date, undeserved kindness. That's the first definition and use biblically of the grace of God. The second definition is divine enablement. But let's, let's park on undeserved kindness for a minute because I want you to have faith in this specifically this year. This first definition is important because our salvation is a result of God giving us, gifting us undeserved kindness, what we commonly understand as grace. Please understand this. So many people, they, they hear this, but they don't hold this truth on the inside and it causes them to constantly trip up and stumble and go in circles in their Christian life. I want you to hear me once. I want to put this issue to bed, okay? Jesus lived in perfect obedience to God's laws. Jesus, based off his works and the life he lived, deserved God's acceptance. All of us have sinned and broken God's laws. Even once we were made aware of them and knew they were right, we still went against them. And we deserve punishment. 
But because of his great grace, God put the punishment we deserved on his own son, Jesus. And God took the acceptance that Jesus deserved and put it on us. So that when we have faith in Jesus, we receive from God undeserved kindness. Your salvation will never be about what you have done. Your salvation will always be about what Jesus has done for you. That's the grace of God. Look at Titus chapter 3 verses 4 through 7. When's the last time you read the book of Titus? Titus chapter 3 verses 4 through 7. Come on. But when the... See why I like that word a little better, okay, than unmerited favor? Okay, look at that. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. I want you to pick up on that word we just used and pick it up one more time in Scripture. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Oh, hallelujah. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his Oh, there it is, toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's where your focus has got to be. When voices of condemnation come, when the enemy tries to convince you that you're not saved, when the enemy tries to throw your failures and your flaws up in your face and just beat you down, you need to have a laser clear focus on this scripture. For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Let's add our definition. For by undeserved kindness, I never did anything in the first place to deserve it. So there's nothing I can do to undeserve it. I didn't deserve it anyway. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. When you're talking about your soul salvation, that's a gift from God. Something that was bought for you, purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So have faith in the grace of God. Have faith in the grace of God. Look at somebody. I commission you all and ordain you preachers right now for the next 10 seconds. Look at somebody and say, have faith in the grace of God. That was terrible. I want you to try out your best preacher voice. Look at them again and say, have faith in the grace of God. Give God a clap. 
All right. Second definition. Okay. Okay. This this is this is grace 2.0. Okay. The second definition of grace in the scripture. And it's important you understand the distinction. This definition has nothing to do with the salvation of your soul. This definition of grace is divine enablement. Divine enablement is real simple. It just means God empowering you or enabling you to do what you would not have been able to do in your own strength. Okay? So that means when you get maxed out and you can't do anymore, a divine grace, divine enablement will come on you and enable you to accomplish more than you could. Go beyond your limits, okay? Uh, the scripture we have to back this up is 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. Paul is in a situation where he's being fought and attacked physically, okay? He talks about uh, a thorn in his flesh, so it's a physical affliction. Now, Paul had to travel to get the gospel established in many different countries, many different places. And Paul had got to a place with this physical affliction that he could no longer accomplish his mission and his purpose. So he went to the Lord three times about it. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. The reason he wanted it to depart, because he was no longer able to do what he needed to do. You ever been fought in your body physically so hard that you weren't able to do what you needed to do? Okay. This is, where, this is where Paul was at, okay? And he said to me, this is God's response, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, okay? I want you to understand what he's saying there. He's not talking about undeserved kindness there, because that wouldn't apply to that text. He's talking about, Paul, you have run out of your natural ability, you have taken your physical strength and your natural ability and what you're able to do to the absolute limit, and you can't, you can't get over anymore. So I'm going to give you a divine enablement, a divine ability that makes you able to do what you are not able to do. This year, You are going to be led by the purpose of God to go after some things that in the natural sense, you're not able to do it. But God is going to give you a divine grace, a divine enablement. God's going to make you able to do it. So whatever it is in your financial life, whether you're buying a house, whether you're starting a business, whether you're upgrading, whether you're expanding, whether you're writing something, whether you're releasing something, whether you're running for something, whether you're going for something, whatever it is that's in the purpose of God and in your heart to do this year, there are limitations that are screaming to you that you are not able to do it. God sent me in here and told you to tell, he told me to tell you that 
His grace is going to make you able to do it. Listen to me. I prophesy you're able to do it. Whatever the it is, whatever spot it is in your life, I prophesy that you are able to do it. Even if it's an emotional hurdle that you haven't been able to get over, this year you are able to do it. If it's someplace you want to send your kids, if it's education that you want them to have, you are able to do it. If it's something in your business, if it's something in your health, in your physical life, and there's all kind of limitations keeping you from the healthy lifestyle that you want to have, the Spirit of the Lord through me is saying to you this year, you are able to do it. I want 25 people to stand up, raise both of their hands and say, I am able to do it by the grace of God. Speak to your soul, I'm able to do it by the grace of God. Speak to your body, I'm able to do it by the grace of God. Speak to your spirit, I'm able to do it by the grace of God. Now with a loud voice, shout back at the devil and say, devil, I'm still going to do it. And I'm going to do it by the grace of God. Give God praise in the house. Have faith in the grace. Have faith in the grace. Have faith in the grace of God. Point number two. Have faith in the goodness of God. All right, now I don't have a lot of time to go through this. I'll try to expound it over the next few weeks, months, as we go through the year. But my wife and I have been doing a study, her more than I, on this specific subject. And it's a very powerful, we're going to tread on holy ground here for a minute. It's a very powerful and deep revelation that looks so shallow and simple on the outside. But I just want you even if it bypasses your mind or if it sounds overly simplistic, I want you to try to feel and grab with your spirit this point. Have faith in the goodness of God. Let me begin to reveal this for you. Don't think of God's goodness as an adjective. What does an adjective do? It describes which, what kind of, how many. So we're not, we're not describing God when we say the goodness of God, okay? I want you to think of the goodness of God as a noun. What's a noun? A person, a place, or a thing. I want you to begin in your faith to see the goodness of God as its own thing, all right? God's goodness is a force, all by itself. It flows out of him like a mighty river. And the best, couple of the best scriptures that I could find to prove to you God's goodness is not a descriptive adjective, but it's a thing. I want you to go to Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 through 23. Let me set this up for you. I'm going to do some setup in what happened before and what happened after I'm going to be reading. So just stay with me for a minute. Moses is at his breaking point, leading the children of Israel. They've talked about stoning him. They're driving him crazy. He can't sleep. And he's sick of leading them. So he asks God, if it's going to be this way, just kill me. Just take my life. 
and God does some things to restore him and, and kind of bring him back from the edge. But a few weeks later, he's right back. And so he finally breaks down and asks God, show me your way. Okay, that's before, that's before what we're about to read. Show me your way. Show me your face. Reveal to me your name. I need to know you more intimately. And maybe if I could know you more intimately, I could come to grips and rationalize the burden of what I'm dealing with leading these people. So, so this is the pinnacle of the prayer when he finally breaks down and he says, please, please show me your glory. Verse 19. Then the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Now, I want you to, don't, don't miss that. Moses is begging and pleading with God to see his face, to know him more intimately, to, to, to get to the highest level he can get to. And God says, Moses, you asked for my glory. The best I can give you is my goodness. Okay? okay. God would go on to tell Moses in the next verse, or the next few verses, he said, but you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. In other words, Moses, if you saw my face, and the fullness of my glory, it would overwhelm your human being. It, it, would, it would take your life from you. It would overwhelm you to the point of death. So I can't show you my face, but I will cause my goodness to pass before you. The Lord said, here's a place by me in a rock and you'll stand in the rock. And so it'll be when my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock in the cave and I'll cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I'll take away my hand and you can see my back, but my face will not be seen. So, so, so listen, I want you to go back, go back to verse 19. Look at what God is saying to Moses request. Moses, Mo, the best I can do, bud, is I'll cause all my goodness to pass before you. And then in addition to that, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. In other words, I'll say my name out loud to you. Okay? When God was saying his name out loud to people, he was pressing into them an understanding and revelation of who he was. Okay, So watch this. Moses is in the cleft of the rock, and here comes God's goodness walking by. Okay, And then here comes God's voice, and all God is speaking is he's speaking his name out loud to Moses. Anybody remember what name God was going by in Exodus? So listen to me. God's goodness I hope you can follow me with this. God's goodness is his I amness. Okay. All right. Because what makes good good? A good meal isn't a good meal if you're not hungry. 
What good is a healer if you're not sick? What good is a provider when you have everything you need? What good is a defender when nobody's chasing you? Okay. So goodness is relative to my current need. Okay. So when God decides to introduce himself to Abraham, and then when God comes back later in Exodus chapter 33 and says the name again to him, pressing it into him, God says, okay, or not Abraham, Moses, God says, okay, Mo, this will fix you. I'm going to cause my goodness to pass by you, and then I'm going to speak my name into you. I'm going to speak my name into your ears. The first time God gave his name to Moses, he was sending him with a message to go tell Pharaoh because Moses said, who should I say sent me? God said, tell him I am that I am sent you. But that message was for Pharaoh. This time, God is sending his name to Moses. He's speaking the I amness of God directly into him, and here's what it means. Moses was completely captivated and caught off guard with all of the needs of the people and the needs and the responsibility that were on him and all of the needs that were taking place. And God refuses to limit himself in definition or in name to a temporary need because God knows goodness is relative to need. But God also knows that the nature of the human condition is, I may not need today what I needed last year, but I do need something. So to all of the evolving needs for the rest of Moses' life, God says, I am that. I am. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the goodness of God. His ability and desire to be whatever you need whenever you need it. Healing when you need it. Deliverance when you need it. Direction when you need it. Breakthrough when you need it. Acceleration when you need it. He'll slow you down when you need it. As your needs evolve and change, you're not dealing with a stoic God who's concrete and unmovable. You're dealing with a God who can flow with you and be whatever you need him to be. There, there's a lot of that's in life. I'm dealing with some that's this year that I didn't have last year. You're dealing with some that's too. That letter you got in the mail, that threat that came, that doctor's report, that circumstance and situation, that thing that's threatening to take you out. And God says to all of them, oh, I am that. See, it's not I am that I am. It's I am that. I am. Now, you must have faith in 2022 as a child of God that the goodness of God is following you. Okay? Psalm 23, 6 is a scripture for it. David says, surely goodness. Surely the goodness. Surely the goodness. If you're writing notes, write a little note to yourself. Surely the goodness is following me. Raise your right hand. Say, surely the goodness of God is following me. 
That text in Psalm 23, 6 backs up what we said about the goodness, about it being a noun, not an adjective. Because adjectives can't follow you, but nouns can. Did you catch that? The goodness is following you. Say it. The goodness is following me. Come on, declare it. The goodness is following me. I believe that the goodness is following me. I believe the goodness is following my children. Oh, hallelujah. I believe that the goodness is following my family. I believe that the goodness is following my church. I believe that the goodness is following me. Okay, you got to believe that. You got to believe that. You got to laser focus your faith into that. My wife and I got into a little theological argument. And I lost. And it befuddled me. I don't lose many. And, but she, she's been studying this thing about the goodness. And she said to me, God has never done anything in the scripture. That wasn't good. All right. All right, sweetheart. No, okay. No, no. She said, baby, I'm telling you, God has never done anything. Not one thing that wasn't good. He has only done goodness. I said, well, what about when he caused the earth to swallow up? Korah and his, or Achan and his whole family. And what about when he told them to utterly destroy Korah and set all of them on fire? She said, God didn't do that. She said, they did it with their actions. She said, he didn't even want to do it. She said, that's why he never judged anybody without warning them. Because every action that comes from him is only ever good. In fact, search it out like I did because I wanted to prove it wrong. I went through every instance in scripture that I could find where I thought that for whatever reason, you know, prevailing in his purpose that God may have done something that wasn't good, you know. Like when he told the Israelites to destroy all of the Amalekites and all of their livestock and all of their anything. So you got God commanding, you know, uh, cattle to be killed and people to be killed and all kind of other stuff. But when you search it all the way back to stuff that he had said previously, you'll find out that was never God being the source of it. It was the reaction to what people decided to do. God has never decided to do anything but good. God only thinks good towards you. In fact, the two times in Scripture where the Bible says God thought of evil to do to a people, the only two times that the Scripture says God thought of evil to do to a people, number one, they deserved it. And number two, the Bible says he repented of the evil he thought to do. Changed his mind. 
And all of a sudden, I begin to understand that woman was right. God, listen to me. Some of you crazy, backslidden, broken preachers messed you up. And you have like a timid fear coming before God like he's going to crush you. God is only thinking good toward you. Okay. Okay. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts I think towards you. Thoughts of good and not evil. To give you a future and a hope. And the more I studied it, the more I realized God's only ever doing good. It's just from Genesis to Revelation. Goodness, 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 goodness. And I want you to get all that stinking thinking out of your mind about you not being worthy and you remembering your past and you remembering your failures and you having such a low and negative view of God. God is only good and his good Goodness, which is its own separate thing, is following you all the days of your life. His, his goodness will follow you into a bad situation and make sure that by the time you end up coming out of it, he turns all things and makes them work together, even the bad things, even the painful things. He, he makes all things work together for good to them who love him and are called according to his purpose. All of a sudden, the more you focus on it, the more you think about it, the more you read about it, your mind will begin to expand with this idea. Oh my God, you're only goodness. You are only goodness. Your thoughts toward me are goodness. When I come to you boohooing and saying I'm not worthy and talking about how much of a mess I am, you don't even want to hear that because your thoughts toward me are goodness. And the reality is it doesn't matter where I've been or how much I've messed up. My performance is not why you saved me. My faith in Jesus and what he did at the cross is why you saved me. And this morning, your thoughts toward Toward me are good. This morning, God's thoughts toward you are good. The goodness of God is following you. And this year, you are going to see manifestations of the goodness of God like you have never seen before in your life. If you will hearken to the word of the Lord and focus your faith on his goodness, you will see goodness just dropped on you unexpected good goodness you didn't work for goodness you don't deserve goodness you can't even explain get ready for miracles you don't have the ability to explain they are a byproduct of the goodness of God in fact you could boil all the miracles that Jesus performed down and you could just call them the goodness of God when he opened blinded eyes, it was the goodness of God. When he turned water into wine, it was the goodness of God. When he let Peter walk on the water, it was the goodness of God. Okay. When he healed the lepers, it was the goodness of God. When he touched the casket of the widow of Nain's son and the boy rose up out of the casket, it was the goodness of God. When he called Lazarus out of the grave, it was nothing but the goodness of God. You have no idea the miracle power and the potential that is loaded inside this mysterious thing called the goodness of God. But that goodness, 
the same goodness that God caused to pass before Moses in Exodus, that goodness is following you. So be careful where you walk. Because everywhere you walk, you'll have to take the goodness in there with you. Because the thing about the goodness is, it's stubborn. It won't leave you just because you go into the wrong place. You can offend it. You can grieve it. But it ain't going nowhere. So be careful where you sit down because the goodness is sitting down right beside you. Be careful what environments you go into because the goodness is going to have to hear everything they're saying. Be careful when you listen to gossip because the goodness is right by you listening to the conversation. The goodness is going everywhere with you. Every place the sole of your foot touches this year, the goodness of God walks in your tracks. The goodness of God follows you, and the goodness of God chases you. The goodness of God overwhelms you. The goodness of God falls on you. The goodness of God manifests in your life. Say, I have faith that the goodness is following me. Number three, the gifts of God. The gift of God. The gift of God. Put your hand on your head and say, I know that God has given me a gift. Now, you need to start having faith in the gift God gave you. Stop looking at the gifts he gave other people and feeling less than. You need to start having faith in the gift he gave you. There's a gift in you. Proverbs 18, look at it if you will. Proverbs 18, 16. Look at this. This is what's going to happen. A man, or it could be a woman, a man's gift makes room for him. Doesn't say the man makes room for himself. Says the gift God put in somebody will make the room for them. Your gift makes room for you this year. Listen, I'm talking about promotion. Go for it. Your gift is going to make room for you this year. I'm talking about contracts. I'm talking about closing deals. Your gift is going to make room for you this year. And then second, and it'll bring you before great men, great people. Okay. Your gift is going to give you influence this year like you've never had before. Listen to me. Your gift is going to give you influence. I just speak it over you. Influence with people like you have never had before. And the gift came from God. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8. This is so, this is such a proof that God is only good. Because after he rose from the grave while he's ascending Jesus had already purchased our salvation he could have just went on up and and everything would have been great he, he purchased our salvation but he did more than that when he ascended on high he led captivity captive and while he's going up he just tossed out gifts to men let me let me reveal what that means it means while Jesus is going up out of his spirit out of his I amness, 
out of his godness, okay, he just releases over the earth's atmosphere spiritual gifts that stayed there all those years until you were born in 1976. And one of those gifts that he left was a sign to you. And God did not save anybody that he didn't give a gift to. Okay. Whether you were born in 1950 or 1995, gift came to your spirit. Based on God's foreknowledge, he knew that one, at one point in your life you would accept him and you would come to salvation. So he assigned that gift to you while he was ascending on high. That gift waited in the atmosphere until you were born. And when you came into this earth, that gift was assigned to your life. You are far more gifted than you realize. And some of the reason you've been held back and haven't climbed as high as you could is you haven't had faith in yourself, in the gift God put inside you. But in 2022, I want you to focus your faith on the gift God gave you. Let me help you understand what I'm not saying. A lot of times when we talk about gifts in church, we churchify it. So we talk about gifts that only relate to like, you know, singing gifts or preaching gifts or prophecy gifts or healing gifts. There is so much more than that. Jesus wasn't just dropping gifts for church leadership. He was dropping gifts of all kinds, gifts that are too numerous to be able to adequately explain. But whatever yours is, there's a gift in you. Prosperity flows to you through your gift. Okay. Oh, that was a running, shouting, owl, flipping over, chair destroying word right there. Listen to me. The overflow, the abundance of prosperity, okay, that God has will flow to you through. You using the gift God gave you, okay? Listen, which one of David's gifts made him rich? Was it his singing? No. Was it his songwriting? No. Was it the favor and influence that he had, how gregarious he was with people? No. Which one of David's gifts made him rich initially? His gift to throw a rock, So I don't care if all you can do well is throw a rock and you've been walking around wondering how in the world is God's prosperity and abundant supply ever going to flow in my life simply because of this gift to throw a rock. God will create a giant that fits the gift that you have and God will empower you and flow through your gift and through your gift the abundant supply of heaven will come. The problem is you don't have what David had. You don't have faith in your own gift. You're stuck going in circles, trying to figure out how you're going to make the budget work, trying to figure out how you're going to make everything work because you believe in God, but you don't believe in what God put in. Okay. This is the year 
for you to believe, have faith in, focus on the grace of God, the goodness of God, and the gift of God. Wait a second. Wait a second. The grace of God, the goodness of God, the gift. Wait a second. There's three. There's three. The grace of God, the goodness of God, and the gift of God. And there's a point where all three of those elements will begin to intersect. The Spirit of the Lord says to you, 2022 is the focal point where the grace of God over your life, the goodness of God over your life, and the gift of God in your life begin to intersect. That's why this year will be the greatest year you've ever had in your life. Not because the year is magical. It just happens to be a scheduled appointed time on heaven's calendar when the grace of God, the goodness of God, and the gift God put in you intersect into a focal point. And if you will focus, on the focal point, I prophesy you will see with your eyes all three of these elements intersect and come together this year. If no matter what comes up in your life to distract you, if no matter what comes up to threaten you, if no matter what comes up to discourage you, you will actively refuse it and keep your focus on the grace of God, the goodness of God, and the gift of God. Say it with me. The grace of God, the goodness of God, the gift of God. Listen, Paul said something to his church after he preached him a message similar to what I just preached you. The apostle Paul said, if I myself or some other preacher, or even an angel coming down in the room himself and manifesting. Paul said, if anybody preaches you anything contrary to what I just said, he said, they're a liar. He said, they're from Satan. He said, they're from hell. Listen to me clearly as I give you this apostolic instruction. Those of you that like to get word from other places, that's fine and that's good. But listen to me and hear me clear. Any message this year that contradicts the grace of God over your life, the goodness of God over your life, or the gift of God that he put in you, that message is a lie. Okay? That message is a lie. Paul called it accursed. That's what it is. That message is accursed. If it contradicts, if it violates the grace of God over your life, the goodness of God over your life, the gift of God over your life. So if you hear on the news that things are going down, that message for you 
is accursed because it violates the grace of God over your life, the goodness of God over your life, and the gift of God over your life. If your crazy neighbors want to sit around and talk about how bad things are and how everything's going down, that message is accursed because what you're walking in is the grace of God over your life, the goodness of God. over You're starting to feel it. You're starting to get it. And the gift God has given you. So I release in this focal point these elements. And I charge you with the instruction to focus on each of them. To not let anything steal your attention from them. And may the grace of God May the goodness of God and may the gift God gave you begin to abound and multiply and increase. In other words, may it magnify. Oh, magnify the Lord, the Lord's grace, the Lord's goodness, and the Lord's gift. Oh, magnify the Lord, the Lord's grace, the Lord's goodness, and the Lord's gift with me, and let us exalt his name together. Give the Lord a hand praise all over the house.